Greetings, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch the Muppet movie two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we're very happy to have today's uh, special return guest with us. Introduce yourself, uh, special return guest. Hi, I'm still Tansy Rainer Roberts. I'm a science fiction fantasy author, and uh, I'm one of the co-hosts of the Verity podcast, which talks about Doctor Who a lot. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much for coming back. Ah, no problem. I was still here in my chair. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Uh, You've been so, sitting here all week in your chair waiting. I have. I you have know, been waiting and waiting to talk about the next bit of the Muppet movie. We really don't do that joke much, do we? No, we we, we don't do it very much, but <laughs> it's but I enjoy it. Yeah, it's always funny when we do. And another thing that's always funny is the Muppet movie. And today we're talking about uh, minutes eighty nine and ninety of the Muppet movie. Ninety minutes into this movie, that's remarkable. Uh, and in these minutes, Which the must Muppets... Be, it's nearly finished because it's a movie that was made, you know, in the 20th century. And <laughs> that was the standard length for movies. Yes, it was before every movie had to be two hours and 40 minutes long. Right. Yeah. It's a, in- including it, comedies. It, well, I was going to say, even like Muppets Most Wanted is... Isn't Muppets Most Wanted like 110 minutes or something or close is, to it? It's the longest one, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. And this is this is a tight ninety six. Yeah. So, so yeah. thanks, nineteen seventy nine. Yes. Uh, so here in minutes eighty nine and ninety, the Muppets uh, continue setting up for their big Hollywood movie, and they start filming. And we pick up with uh, Scooter answering Zoot's question from last time. I think Zoot uh, said uh, it was something like, "What's going on?" or "What are we doing?" Uh, Janice says, "Let's do it," and Zoot says, "Do what?" Right, yeah, so Zoot's still a little bit, like, kind of on another planet, but Scooter's there to answer his question. They're doing the movie. <laughs> uh, and then we hear, so everyone is, is chattering excitedly off-screen, on-screen. There's a second here where you, you hear Fozzie off-screen, and it sounds to me like he's saying, yes, sir, a foot stomper. Did you hear that or anything like that? Fozzie, not notice that at all. Because I, I, I don't know what that would mean. I can only make out yes, sir, but which is some which like which I did put in my notes. That feels much more like Kermit and Fozzie's Muppet Show dynamic, where where Kermit is Fozzie's boss, sure, than it does like the rest of this movie where they're best friends and equals more or less. Right. True, but they're now coming into closer to that reality of working together and finding that new dynamic uh, in these last few scenes. I mean, right. we, we yeah. talked last time about the meta thing of what's happening when and what's being made when i always had troubles fitting in like but when did they make the muppet show was that like after the like in in the muppet reality was it after the muppet movie because that doesn't always make sense um yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah, really sense. make sense it's better not to think about it too hard <sighs> if only i could go back and tell my eight-year-old self <laughs> and not think about it too hard yeah well then especially when you get into stuff like the muppets take manhattan they're graduating college together so it's like when did that happen that movie just messed with my head so badly. <laughs> well, that's why I, I always say every Muppet project is a standalone. Like, there's no continuity from one Muppet project to the next. Right. Um, and again, Tansy, you're a Doctor Who fan. It's just like... Yeah, every, as I say, it's actually every, a lot like Doctor Who, where there's no canon, there's always another timeline. Right. 
So Kermit and the gang can meet each other at college or on the road, or they can be babies together, and the doctor can find Atlantis three different times. You know, it's... <laughs> he can sink Atlantis three different he can times. sink Atlantis three different times, right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, I did notice that Fozzie bit, but that he, Fozzie does say the moving right along line, and that's really the beginning of this of this mass concentration of callbacks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, foot Stomper, maybe that's not what he's saying. I think that usually just means like a, a really catchy, up-tempo song. But if anyone out there can make out what Fozzie is saying, please uh, let us know. Um, yeah, because that does imply that Fozzie might in some way be in charge of the music, and that can't oh, be right. Oh, maybe. No, no, yeah, like, probably not. That just seems wrong at so many levels. Yeah. So then uh, Kermit tells Fozzie to get those wagons out of there. Uh, get those wagons out of there. Fozzie says, yes, sir, I'm off. And then there's this little tiny just piece of business where Fozzie points his finger forward a second before he starts driving in that direction. And it's just one of these tiny little moments that I love so much. It's so satisfying. <laughs> it is very cute. Yeah, Frank Oz, he was good at his job. Yeah, like I can only assume that he just came up with that. Like it's just such a small thing. But yeah, I love that stuff. Um, and yeah, so there's all these these quick shots that are showing us uh they're they're really uh putting all this together they're making this movie they have lights equipment cases cameras rope scenery and they're all just having the best time putting it all well, together right that's yeah. what I, that's what i noticed is how much everyone is just laughing or ex- just like making exclamations just hey ha ha like through this yeah whole there's there's a series of shots where it's like and i i don't know who says what but i <laughs> i wrote down Ha 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 ha! Woo hoo hoo! So they're they're yeah they're just having so much fun and we're having fun watching them. Yeah, it's these joyous scenes where the Muppets come together to do something, and it reminds me of much later on with the um the new the Muppets movie. Um, I don't remember which year it is, but you know you know the one I mean. Um, the, yeah, two thousand eleven, where they're they're renovating the theater. Uh, it's that same joyous thing. There's music playing. They're all coming together. They're using montage in a creative way. Uh, they're doing a project. They seem never happier than when they're like building sets together. And <laughs> see, now I want the Muppets home renovation TV show. <laughs> Why don't we have that where they go to small towns and renovate their theaters? Yeah. They actually, they actually did guest star on Extreme Makeover Home Edition one time. <gasps> well, twice oh actually, because Kermit did it once by himself, and then the whole gang did it on another episode. That's amazing. <laughs> And yeah. now I need to obviously go catch up on my my YouTube uh, Googling for Muppet information because, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Looks like both of those clips are on YouTube. So. Oh, good. Awesome. Well, now I know what I'm doing after we finish this podcast. <laughs> so uh, Dr. Teeth is carrying the church bell, and he says, mellow and profitable, which is one of those, like, like you were saying, Tansy, there's all these callbacks. Yeah. And and it's like we just watched this movie. Like we've just been watching this movie, but it, there is, there's something really fun and satisfying again about seeing all these things and recognizing them. Like, oh yeah, that's from that scene, and that's from that scene. Yeah, absolutely. It's nostalgia for the thing that we're still watching. Right, and <laughs> like for the Muppets, was... it's nostalgia for the adventure that they just had. Although I guess we don't yeah. actually know how long it's been between the scene in the in Lou Lord's office and and now where they're making the movie, right. but. Maybe... It's been less than a week, let's face it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe they made three seasons of The Muppet Show in between. We, we don't oh. know. 
Ah, standard rich and famous contract. You have to, yeah. That's actually a really interesting idea. Um, but and yeah, all these beautiful, all these beautiful bits and pieces, like yeah, the the the, the church and the um, Fozzie in the car, and with the movement moving right along. And do you have to like take a drink when the, your podcast name gets? Uh, <laughs> gets <laughs> Oh, we should, yeah, we that. should be doing that. Yeah, yeah. It's too, too late now. Um, the Hollywood sign is one that we keep coming back to in, from multiple different shots. And, of course, that's important at many different levels, not just because they're in Hollywood and that's the thing, but, yeah, all these beautiful well, different bits of setting. The, what, the one that makes me happiest, I think, is Gonzo and Camilla. There's the wooden set of Gonzo's balloons from earlier. And yeah. he, he and Camilla are both riding around on it together. And as they go past, he goes, woohoo! And Rolf laughs at them. Like, you know, laughs <laughs> along with them. And I just love the idea that like, he, he's going to go back there someday, right? And now he's, he's play-acting it with Camilla, and it's just the best time Gonzo has ever had. Yeah, this is his yeah. first chance to go back there someday. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I like that. I um, like that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Beaker, meanwhile, is brushing Miss Piggy's hair. I don't know how he ended up with that gig. Okay. Did he just walk up to her and start combing her hair? Like, like that's what I want. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but then apparently he hits a tangle or something or, or brushes too hard because uh, she, she yells, ow, watch it. And, and, you know, Beaker, in this movie, he actually does not get maimed or tortured by any kind of science experiment, but... You know, you can't get through a movie without something bad happening to Beaker. So in this one, he just gets yelled at. The, that's true. I kind of wonder, like, either he drew the short straw and he has to be Miss Piggy's makeup and hair person, which is pretty hard, or they've all been <laughs> taking turns because no one person should have to do that for more than five minutes. <laughs> so, like, e- every Muppet t- is, like, there's their own shift. And, like, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, it's my turn to go and, and, and because, yeah, she's, she's the sort of person who would be firing um, makeup people and hair people left, right, and center. And maybe they just ran out. Yeah, yeah, everyone has to take a turn. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Kermit says to Miss Piggy, Miss Piggy, you look beautiful. And then to the camera, he says, Hollywood talk. Yes. <laughs> Like he's been in Hollywood, what a week? We we decided, and he's already just or like three years. He's, he's talking. The, you know, he knows the lingo. So, oh yeah, or three years. Okay, in that case, that makes sense. <laughs> it's also this running thing where he can't like Kermit can never like be say anything too genuinely nice to Miss Piggy without in some way undercutting it slightly. Like the right. idea that he might just genuinely be nice to her. It's like, no. But the, the bit that I love about that is when he says, Miss Piggy, you look beautiful. And she replies, thank you. Because she knows. <laughs> like there's no, like, it's just like that's her dues. Is being, that's part of the routine is being told that she's beautiful and she knows she looks beautiful. <laughs> and just I love her confidence. But it's, yeah, just that whole little sequence is so cute. Yeah. Also, we should mention uh, Kermit's little beret, which is great. Kermit always looks good in yes. a hat, and this one is no exception. Well, it's 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 interesting to me that Kermit is the director. Yeah. Because, like, as we talked about, Kermit is Jim Henson. Jim didn't direct this movie, as we've talked about. A James lot of people Frog. probably assume he did, but right. right. But he, but he directed yeah. the next one. He directed the Great Mummy Caper. So yeah. this is almost like foreshadowing for for Jim Henson taking the director's chair in the next movie. Yeah, a little bit, and it's also again coming off the Muppet Show uh, because 
Kermit had that role. I mean, Kurt was basically the director and the producer, really. Uh, he had that organisational role in that. And whenever they come back to a showbiz story, they're always shades of the Muppet show itself, even if that's like the weird AU in which they ran a variety show. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's like he's coming back to that, that reality. But the fact that he is the director and the star, um, yes, it's, it's, which is, you know, not, not unheard of. It's, it's very Orson Welles, really. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's sad now. I'm, I'm now disappointed they didn't actually give Orson Welles the beret. But, of course, he's not the director, so that's all right. Um, <laughs> um, one, uh, one, well, one other character who shows up here having fun. Like I said, everybody's having fun. One of the characters who's having fun is Crazy Harry. Yes. Who, who shows up and says, Crazy Harry plays with electricity. And, yes. Um, we, we talked last time about how Robin was on this, but the next character – like. Other than Robin, I guess, everyone else so far has been someone that they met along the way. And here now, like, the purest chaos agent in the Muppets has shown up to blow things up. And I love it so much. Yeah, and I guess this must be, you know, if if you want to try to, to, uh, you know, impose a Muppet continuity on this, here is the origin of Crazy Harry. They they needed somebody to, to do... I don't know. He, he's playing with electricity. He has something to do with the lighting here. So they hired uh, Crazy Harry, and then they kept him around on The Muppet Show to do whatever his job was on The Muppet Show. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, like, clearly there is, and like I said, they, they've been here either a week or, or, or three years. Um, clearly <laughs> there is a deleted scene somewhere of them either holding auditions to flesh out the, the polar parts they needed for their movie or their crew, or just... I don't know, I, I, I feel like there's some sort of dance montage in which they ran through um, the all the the, the sound, you know the the stages of the studio and the, all the outdoor sort of parts in you know the um, uh, in, in, in the studio just finding all the Muppets out there who are just like serving coffee at food ser- at craft services or in a queue for an audition and they just went and found all the Muppets that they could. <laughs> Uh, who had just ordinary jobs in the new vicinity and brought them into the crew. <laughs> well, so well, they're it, just like, hey, do you want to work on a movie? Well, it's a little bit yeah. like the end of Muppet Sick Manhattan, where the play needs more bears and dogs and chickens and things. Yeah. So Absolutely. Everybody... You know, yeah. I feel like there were flyers and there's some sort of sequence in which they just all ran around sticking up flyers around and collecting, collecting Muppets to add to the dream. Yeah. Um, I also don't want to uh, skip over, though, this moment with uh, Ralph filming Fozzie. And Fozzie yeah. is just, like, <laughs> dancing around, and he throws his hat, and he's going, wah ha And Ralph is saying, good, good. <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't know what if they're just testing the camera or what, but I want to see that film footage. Well, and they kind of want... Oh, sorry. I'm just saying, Ralph, cinematographer, you know, we talked about the whole thing of the Muppets are doing all their own crew. Uh, and we had that line earlier, is it, that kind of implied that maybe Fozzie had some kind of say over the music, and now Ralph is, like, um, is the is cinematographer. Did they draw the jobs out of a hat? <laughs> you know, are they just, like, all taking turns at different things? Well, and I love that Ralph thinks a cinematographer's job is to say, okay, everybody stay in focus, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it. That's a very important. Yeah. No. The fact that they do create such a well-polished movie 
is frankly something of a miracle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think the Muppets are in a union? Oh, I think they must have started one, surely. Yeah. A purely Muppet union. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe. The, the, the felt the, the felt and fleece local 103 or something. <laughs> no, that is interesting because the whole thing of the, the, the union, clearly whatever their union is, does not preclude people doing randomly different jobs that they're not qualified for. <laughs> right. Um, you know, if anybody can go and be the makeup person or the camera person, uh, uh, well, and, yeah. And, and we haven't talked about Bunsen is running the sound system. Yeah, so that's the next thing we see. Yeah. Bunsen is recording sound. He asks someone to give him a level and Animal yells, Testing! Which causes uh. smoke to pour out of Bunsen's <laughs> headphones and the headphones and his glasses are jumping around on his head. And, you know, I mentioned a minute ago that we don't see Beaker get injured in this movie. But we see Bunsen get injured, which is unusual, but it kind of feels like justice after all those Muppet Lab sketches. True. Bunsen yeah. had it coming. <laughs> and then Animal, I don't know what his job is on the crew, but he's just uh, hes just very pleased with himself for having given uh, Bunsen long-term hearing damage. That's right. And he's chained up in that shot, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's chained up through this whole sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a shot earlier where he, he was actually chained to a light, I think. Yeah. So, so clearly yeah, his they, job is staying out of the way. <laughs> yeah, they don't trust him much. Um, so yeah, we mentioned Ralph telling everyone to stay in focus. Then we see uh, Scooter come in with this uh, clapboard thing. Clapper, clapboard. Yes. And, and he squishes his fingers in it. <laughs> so I can remember watching this as a kid. And first of all, I felt so bad for Scooter because... His reaction is not like a slapstick comedy reaction. He's not like "youch" when he when he smashes it. He just kind of goes "oh oh" like it like it really hurts, and I felt really bad for him. And then also the sound effect that it makes is like it's not like a cracking sound or a slapping sound. It's it's this this just sort of soft smushing sound. And I don't know. I just feel like it really hurts, and I feel very bad for Scooter. It does now. Isn't this like a really like old joke too? Like. I, I I I think I'm remembering that this is something that he used to do a lot in the um, uh, in the Muppet Show, or am I am well, I am I remembering forwards? Like I it just seems like this is a culmination of this happening to him a lot. I think you're remembering forwards because the Muppet Show was a stage show, so they yeah. didn't have they didn't have clappers. But I mean, he he did introduce numbers fairly often. You know, he would come he out did. on stage. Say, Kermit asked me to introduce the next act, kind of stuff. Yeah, no, maybe I am just remembering for it. Just, I just, I just got the feeling it might have just been deja vu that I have huh. seen him do this like a hundred different times and always catching his fingers in the cupboard. And now I kind of, I want to know what I'm remembering. Well, I, he just did, remembering I mean, this TV. is kind of coming in and setting the stage for the movie, which is similar to his job yes. on the Muppet Show of. Absolutely. Going, going to the guest star's dressing room and announcing 15 seconds to Kurt. Oh, so yeah, that's kind of Yeah. But, and I, but I'm sure this actual gag of, you know, somebody with one of these things uh, smashing their fingers in it had been done before this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and many times it just felt like it was like a, a very specifically Muppet thing. Um, but huh. yeah, now I'm wondering if it was just that it got repeated later. And uh, 
Yeah, Isn't the trouble with memory of um, and having watched so many different Muppet things over the years in different order? Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. There's well, there's so much, and and they do bring so many jokes back. There are so many yeah. running gags throughout Absolutely. the Muppet, uh, yeah. you know, uh, things. I mean, there are certain jokes in this movie that come up again and again, but they they just have so many old favorites, like a bunch of cows. No, it's a herd of cows. Sure, I've heard of cows. You know, that's kind of silly old. Yeah. Yeah, they're not above repeating jokes. <laughs> well, absolutely. And it's that old thing, isn't it? If it, if you repeat a joke enough times, it comes around and becomes funny again. And Muppets kind of expedites that. Because if like if it's a really old joke and it's told by a Muppet, then it's like extra funny. But then it's funny because it's an old joke. And right. uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, Anthony, is there a quote from a Muppet writer? Something to the effect of like, if a joke isn't good enough to do once, it's or, yeah, if a joke isn't good enough to do once, it's good enough to do three times. Or am I, I think I've heard that attributed to Jim Henson himself. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, all, all the uh, the various Muppets are are calling out to Kermit that everything is ready, and there's something here. I alluded to this in a previous episode, but I'm pretty sure that the voice we hear saying "makeup ready" is Beaker. And this is something I only noticed a few years ago, like having seen this many, many, many times. But it's a high falsetto voice, but it's not Piggy, because just a second after that, Piggy says, already, Kermie. But it's all these different characters shouting out, like, makeup, like, different things that are ready to Kermit. And it it sounds like a a falsetto Richard Hunt voice. And I am, like, 90% sure that that's Beaker speaking the words, makeup ready. What do you think? Well, there we go, like... You saw him doing the hair earlier. Maybe he is in charge of hair and makeup. Because I was thinking, right. you know, the idea of him, do, you know, doing doing up Miss Piggy of like, well, it actually is the closest, really, to his classic job of being the science assistant. And given that Bunsen is off doing the, the lighting, the idea that Beaker might be in charge of hair and makeup uh, makes makes a lot of sense because it's basically chemistry, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The- no. That followed. It's just unusual that he's not just going like, mama, mommy. He's saying makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's true. Well, but he's just very confident because he's finally been given a job that, you know, <laughs> he's not having to be the assistant anymore. He's in charge of things. Um, I don't know that is something generally people would call before a film thing happens. No, I don't <laughs> like, think people, I don't think the makeup person yells out to the director, hey, makeup's ready. No. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, they're all figuring out how to do this as they go. And it's lovely that so many of them have taken on these various jobs above, beyond, and sideways of their actual skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everyone uh, is working together. And now uh, here we go because um, the lights come up. We see the whole set. And then here's... Kermit on the swamp set singing the Rainbow Connection again, but this time all his friends are singing with him. Uh, we don't get very much of it here, but Kermit sings a line, Fozzie sings a line, and that is how we close this out. And yeah. that is actually all I have for these minutes. Uh, what about you, uh, Tansy? I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's just, again, it's this, we have this whole sequence of callbacks, and we've got this beautiful kind of mashup set that's all come together with all the bits and pieces of the movie. It's not just like, 
you're seeing all those bits. You're seeing it all at once. So it's like you're being reminded of all the different bits of the movie. And then Kermit starts singing about rainbows, but everybody's singing with him. So it's this lovely callback to the first proper scene. But it's also, it shows how far that we've come, that he just sings one line and then Fozzie takes it. And he's there with his friends again. It's just this lovely, um, it's, it's just this whole thing. You show the progress of the story. Um, you, you see where they've come. And, yeah, it's, I guess it's being shown over and over again, but it's, it's just such a lovely idea that he started from this lonely, lonely point of, of being somebody with a dream and he's ended up in this place where, you know, with the, the, the teamwork. Um, I don't know if it's something you've discussed at length before, but there actually aren't that many songs about rainbows, which is something my children raise quite a lot whenever, <laughs> like, <laughs> this to cure. <laughs> I don't remember if huh? we talked about it on the podcast. You I know. Think, I think we did back when we did the song, but go on, Tenzi. No, no, just like the whole, like, like in, in this case, um, you know, we've got a whole different extrapolation of, of, of what rainbows do. Um, I don't feel that rainbows do sing that much. Um, you know, I have very pedantic children. But, you know, really, before the Muppet movie, there's like one song about the rainbow, right? Which is, you know, Judy Garland in The, the Wizard of Oz singing um, about, you know, what's on the other side of the rainbow. But it's not like there's a genre of music about rainbows. Right. Uh, but somehow Kermit makes us believe that there is. Well, and I think I think what that line means, right, is... Why does why does Dorothy sing about rainbow? Like like that's actually <laughs> yeah. what it's saying, right? Or it's, it's like why do we romanticize song. rainbows, or why do we fantasize about rainbows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you look at in depth, it's the idea of like the the mythical idea of the rainbow, and this comes back to the pot of gold thing that we talked about before, uh, which is not necessarily a pot of gold of riches. It's your dream. You're looking beyond for something that seems out of reach. Yeah. Um, I will point out, uh, there is a page on Muppet Wiki called Songs About Rainbows, (laughs) which mostly is Sesame Street songs that mention rainbows, but then it also has uh, a song called Make Me Rainbows from the movie Fitzwilly starring Dick Van Dyke. Oh, a movie that I've seen many times. Yes, actually, I watched that movie. I watched that movie on your recommendation, Anthony. Sure. Um, there's you. a song called Look to the Rainbow from Finian's Rainbow. There's, oh, I remember watching that as a kid. Yeah. So there's I'm Always Chasing Rainbows, which was also recorded by Judy Garland. Ah. And All right, is... look, I stand corrected and I will find <laughs> that link so I can show it to my children next time they... Uh... <laughs> well, and then also the Reading Rainbow theme, which is, uh, I don't know if that's actually about rainbows. But, but... And it also didn't, did not exist yet. That's true. That's true. I Reading think, Rainbow. I, I think you can't count songs that post-date Rainbow Connection. Yeah, I, I have a feeling uh, that would take out some of the other Sesame Street songs, too. I feel like the Muppets, you can actually claim all, like, because of their continuity is so strange, I think you have to assume time travel in many <laughs> of their things. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll agree to that. Of course, it's... I just say it's it's ironic that the song about rainbows, which is the rainbow connection, which is being called back to here, um, is in itself pretty much. I have to say, probably the most famous song now about rainbows. I think even more than Judy Garland and 
and the Wizard of Oz and all that, I think the Rainbow Connection pretty much has to have it beat by now in a pop culture sense, surely. I would be really curious to see the results of some kind of survey about that. Yeah, I think I think they've got to be the top two. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But they, yeah, they might just be neck and neck. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, Anthony, did you have anything else for these minutes? Uh, no, I do not. All right. So, uh, Tansy, one thing we like to ask our guests is, what is your history with the Muppet movie? Do you remember the first time you saw it? Is it your favorite Muppet movie? How would you rank it with the others? Uh, that kind of thing. It's... Uh, that, that's one of those things. Like I was born in 1978, so I definitely don't remember when it first came out. Uh, my memories of Muppets is this big amorphous mix of all Muppet stuff that was available in the 80s, I guess. There was a lot of back and forth. So I don't, I don't remember what my first Muppet thing was that I watched. Um, I mean, I guess I probably would have seen Kermit on Sesame Street before any of the other Muppet stuff. Sure. Um, I definitely knew Sesame Street Muppets. But, yeah, I don't remember when I saw the Muppet movie. I also think I may have seen Muppets Take Manhattan and Muppet Babies before seeing uh, the, the, the Muppet movie. Um, but I definitely watched it when I was very young, and I've watched it many, many, many times since. I think it's probably... My favorite now, as a kid, my favorite was The Great Muppet Caper, mm. which I loved for a very long time and still do. Um, I mean, it's it's really hard to go past a movie that has Diana Rigg in it. Um, uh, and, and I think in many ways that one's a more accomplished movie, but probably the Muppet movie has come around to being my favorite just because I've, I think I've rewatched it more than any of the others it did cause me significantly less philosophical distress than uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, and it's just it's just such a good movie. It really is. I didn't see the Muppet yeah. show until many years later. Like, I think I was in my very late teens when they started showing them on repeat on Australian television because um, I'd missed them, obviously, the first time around. And I watched a bunch of them then, and it just was kind of mind-blowing to have that extra level of Muppet sort of history. Right, so many more hours of Muppet entertainment. Yeah, and it's particularly weird, like, watching it, in in my case, okay, it would have been the the first half of the 90s um, or mid-90s, and watching them then as an Australian because had this extra level of, like, they were more than 15 years old when I was watching them, if not older, and... I didn't always get, especially the American celebrities, like I didn't always know who a lot of them were. Um, the people who were famous in the US in seventy, in the late 70s are not necessarily people that I was aware of as much as, say, the British guests, which I was very familiar with because I was raised on mostly British television by a British mother despite living in Australia. Um, mm. Yeah, so a lot of it was very, very odd. But, of course, you can watch them so you don't need to know who the – same with the Muppet movie. You don't need to know who all the people are for that to be funny. Um, yeah, but I do I do love this movie. It's probably the one I've watched with my kids most often, apart from probably the 2011 one, which, you know, they were completely of the age for 2011 to be their Muppet thing. But I have highly nostalgic children, so they're, they're also <laughs> very fond of the 80s. Well, the 2011 uh, movie is also pretty nostalgic itself. That's kind it of is, the premise it's of it. probably the one that, maps most closely onto this one mm. because pretty much after this 
they're always like taking them up at somewhere new and somewhere different. Yeah. I mean, I'm also very attached to like the movies that were coming out that I remember actually going to see at the movies. The Muppet ones were the nineties, which were the Brian Henson era of, you know, literary reference. So yeah, the, you know, Treasure Island and, and Christmas Carol and those ones. Yeah. And it's uh, exciting when you're already a fan and there's new stuff coming out. Abs- absolutely. So having the Muppets make their big comeback with 2011, because that at that point there had been quite a long gap. Um, you know, I even have really quite emotional. One of my favorites, actually, I think which is a very unappreciated Muppet movies is the Muppets from space, which you know, there, there are a lot of bits about it which are maybe not that great, but I just actually really love the sequences of the Muppets all living together in a giant share house. Like, that just kind of weirdly just blew my mind, and I just really loved that whole idea of them all living together in a house. It was just this slightly different dynamic to the whole working in theatre um, thing. But I've always loved, like, stories about showbiz and show- stories about actors and performers, so the Muppets for many reasons, have always hit my sweet spot. Yeah. I just always... Yeah, but this this one, from a, a narrative point of view, it's 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 just such a clever movie. It really is, and it, it, it just has such a good story and structure to it. Like, as a writer, you can see that the fact that this, like, big finale is all has so many callbacks to the movie as itself. It's, it's very cleverly constructed. They yeah, did a very I, job. I was thinking about that. You said something earlier about repeating themselves, but somehow they get away with it. I don't know if it's because there's an earnestness to it all or just because you love the Muppets so much, but it's, I don't know if, if every movie could get away with this kind of thing, this kind of sequence at the end, but somehow the Muppets can do it. Yeah, but it's also like, I mean, good writing. And again, I was, I was, I was, um, reread the, um, the Terry Pratchett novel I mentioned before the, um, I might have been last episode, but the moving pictures, which is talking about cinema. And then I was listening to the podcast, uh, Pratt Chat, which analyzes, and they were analyzing moving pictures. Um, and they talked about how like a really good comedy ending, a really good ending of a, um, of a Terry Pratchett novel was like really good stand-up. And they were talking about really good stand-up comedy. The joke right at, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, the joke right at the end comes back to the first thing you said. Like the the most beautifully constructed piece of stand up comedy, and so it feels inevitable, and it's that thing where the the end and the beginning have if they connect, there's a sense of narrative rightness for the person watching and appreciating. Like something like the you know when you watch something like a Billy Connolly performance or one of these sort of big ones where he'd just ramble for an hour or sometimes like two hours in a concert, but somehow he would come back to where he started at the end, and you just feel. Yes, that it just—it's very satisfying, and it's very satisfying in comedy, because because comedy is the hardest thing to write, um, and and it will often get the most mixed. Like I've I've written a lot of comedy or like humorous fantasy fiction, and I found that the responses that people gave to it were a lot wider than if you're just writing, you know, straight fiction or, or, or fantasy or science fiction or whatever huh. because if people come to something expecting it to be funny and they don't find it funny they get really angry <laughs> but also there's this expectation like you come to something expecting it to make you laugh or to entertain you and it's like the failure um setting for f- comedy is 
different to the failure setting for anything else. And so it's like, they're like, well, I was told this is a funny book and it didn't make me laugh. Therefore it feels like a failed book. And it's like, but, and so I would always get really frustrated. People never talked about like the fantasy aspect of what I was writing because it was like, they could only say whether or not they found it funny. Yeah. You could tell a a complete story, like perfectly structured, but they're just expecting to laugh. Exactly. And I found that huh. and that's where I found the secret to this is not to tell people that it's going to be funny. Because if people are surprised to find something is funny, then they adore it. But if they come in thinking it's going to be funny, then you, you, you have to work a lot harder. And the thing about the Muppets and about this movie in particular is it's a straight story. Like it's a proper heroic narrative. Um, it There's so much about it that's terribly serious. And the stru- it's not, even when it does get a bit experimental and strange, like with the shots in the forward and the, the watching their own movie and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like ultimately, like Kermit is such an earnest hero and everyone around him like has their own narrative that's quite serious. And it's such a hard balance to to, to make that thing of, because yeah. they're telling a story with puppets. <laughs> right. But they, if they do their job well enough, you don't, you, you kind of forget the fact that they're puppets. Yeah, yeah, you do absolutely, and but I think it it's, was really interesting. The thing that I, I found interesting about yeah yeah listening to comedians talk about things like the Muppets or or any kind of comedy is really fascinating because I like people like stand up comedians because I know quite a few stand up comedians and hearing them analyzing fiction is really really interesting because. I never actually think about, like I've written comedy, but I don't really think about the mechanics of comedy in the way that stand-up comedians do because, of course, what they do is so technical. And a lot of what you see happening in The Muppets is it's based on a live performance, even if it's filmed for a movie. Like there's a, So there's a lot of those rules of comedy and how comedy works and how performance works. And, of course, the fact that you've got a character in it who's a – failed comedian is in itself kind of fascinating <laughs> yeah. But yeah it's just there's just something so strange and improbable about the muppets and i do think <laughs> it works best when it's a really serious story as opposed to a this is a hilarious story of chaotic hijinks because we know we're going to get chaotic hijinks it's the muppets yeah right yeah that's an interesting thought i mean i, I i'm sure you could kind of use that as a, a way of looking at why certain Muppet projects maybe are better than others. I think that's probably very true. Um, And it is why it is so interesting what happened where Brian Henson kind of took over and sort of went in that direction of like, I'm going to retell great literary stories with Muppets, which at the time was like, that that seems like a strange, and it worked so bizarrely well. (laughs) Well, I I think uh, Muppet Christmas Carol specifically, especially, works so yes. well because it sticks to the story exactly. Yes. It uses so much of Dickens' original language. It and really then, does. And then there's this Muppet weirdness kind of poking its head out and showing up where you don't expect it. And it it works like gangbusters every time. It really does. And it's it's aged so well. Like at the it was quite, I think, popular and successful at the time. But now the way people talk about the Muppet Christmas Carol. I mean, you still have people, um, you know, talking about the Muppet version. Actually, I, I saw a great little interview with the guys um, uh, who create. I think it's either the creators or the main actors of Black Sail, and they were saying, "Well, the problem with doing, you know, a serious drama about Long John Silver 
is that you've got the Muppet Treasure Island to live up to. Like, that's, <laughs> the, <laughs> that's the benchmark. I love that. That's great. Um, and, and I think it's true. Like, I think a really underestimated and another unappreciated um, gem of Muppet history is their version of The Wizard of Oz, which I think went direct to video, direct to, to DVD. Yeah, it was a TV it's, movie it's, here in the US. Yeah. It's such a good version of The Wizard of Oz. That, that is brings fascinating in- to hear you say because it's in, uh, among like big fans, it's not generally very well liked. I know, like, I can it's tell you, Ryan so and I are both good. not fans of it. Yeah, oh, it's not I, one of my I favorites. I really am very, very fond of it. As a version of Wizard of Oz, like, I would probably prefer to watch that than the original Hollywood movie version. Uh, which I've seen many times, I do well, enjoy. And it, and it but, does use a lot of fun stuff from the book. That the movie That's did. That the movie did. I like. It definitely yeah. took aspects of the book, and I love like Oz in itself is very dark and weird, and it 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 mixes with the Muppets from Lassie. It's a darker version in some ways. The fact that they had Miss Piggy playing like all the witches is she's all four genius. witches. Yeah. She's all four witches. Yes. Yeah. We um, see a head fall on her, the, so she's she's all four. Oh, and the biker version of the Wicked Witch and the biker hat, which controls the monkeys, and they're all this bikey gang. Uh, the the weird, sad cyberpunk robot that is Gonzo as the Tin Man. Uh, that's <laughs> such a great movie. Um, yeah, so you I'm are, a big fan of retelling classic stories. And really, that's what the Muppet movie does. It, it tells a classic narrative. It's it could, be a, um, it could be a Gene Kelly movie, you know, or a whatever the the leading man was at the time. Like it could be a serious, it's a serious sort of um, story of the, the small, the, 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 the the beautiful voiced young man with no particular, um, who's not going anywhere, who, who, who sets out to seek his fortune. It's a really classic, almost mythic tale of, of showbiz success that happens to be told through Muppets. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So if there are no additional thoughts, I think that's a great note to go out on. Yeah, no, I think I'm probably done for now. <laughs> yeah, that was that was great. Uh, so with that, we will wrap things up. And listeners, please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and various other places. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. You can find Anthony on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And Tansy, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at TansyRR and at my website on TansyRR.com. Uh, you can also find me on the Verity podcast talking about Doctor Who and the Galactic Suburbia podcast talking about science fiction publishing and more industry professional and, stuff. And can, can I plug one of your projects that I really loved? Please do. Um, you were talking about retelling classic stories. Yes. Um, our, our listeners might not know, Tansy did a podcast which was called Frankentastic. And was. I, did. A re- I loved it. I adored it. Uh, it is a regendered reading of Frankenstein, the original novel by That's Mary right. Shelley. She changed uh. the genders of all, kind of switched around the genders of all the characters. And it provides a new lens on that story, but also is just a very delightful reading of the book if you haven't read the book in a while. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, I, I, I think I told you this on Twitter at the time. I, I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. 
Oh, that's that's lovely to hear. Uh, and it was great fun. It was a much bigger project than I thought it was going to be. I remembered the book being a lot shorter when I committed uh. to it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a very and it was such an interesting way to revisit the book and to think about like writing trends of the 19th century and everything of just how the characters were constructed and how changing the gender, but nothing else. Like it was literally just changing pronouns and some names, but not all the names. Yeah, it 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 was a really interesting project, and it is complete, so people can go listen to that for free. Right, and it it'll be a good uh, uh, it'll be a good October listen. Uh, you know, I would oh. I, I would recommend kind of going through the whole thing during Halloween season. You'll love it. Absolutely. Well, also it is this year, I believe, is the two hundredth anniversary of the publishing of Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, that's right. So yeah, yeah, very appropriate. Well, so we will probably be taking a break once we finish watching the Muppet movie, so that would be a great thing for our listeners to check out uh, in between seasons of this podcast. I approve this and, <laughs> and listeners, if you have a minute, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts, and tell all your friends about this show. And don't forget to come back here next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. See you then. Makeup ready. 